friends, welcome back to another episode of the Field and Garden Podcast. It is your host and friend, Lisa Mason Ziegler of thegardenersworkshop.com. And thank you so much for dropping in. And today I am talking about something that is surprising to most people when they learn this about my cut flower operation based on um, my success, I guess, um, and how long I've been in the business. And this is what I have kind of built my whole business around. And I think it's, I'm going to kind of call it the surprising crops. Um, And the surprise is, is that probably like 95% and maybe even a little more percentage of my income from flowers all these years has been from annuals. And that surprises so many folks, I think, because I think they assume that being in the business this long, I would have a stockpile of perennials and woodies and um, be working with a lot of bulbs and tubers. And um, that's what I'm going to talk about today, why I chose to not go that route and how it kind of worked out for me. And this was just my personal pleasure. But before we jump into that, if you're new here to the Gardener's Workshop, I invite you to um, fall on over into the gardenersworkshop.com website where you will find so many great resources, including all of my podcasts, blogs, video guides, as well as you'll find our online garden shop that is stocked with the same tools and seeds and supplies that you hear me mention here from time to time, as well as a full library of online courses from flower farming, starting, scaling, expanding your business, moving into farmer floristry, Um, to how to, if you're a florist that wants to use local flowers, and then we have also a library of on-demand courses that includes home gardening as well as more flower farming short courses. So friends, head on over there and um, enjoy. It's our pleasure to bring that to you. Now, today, um, I think... It doesn't surprise the greater world because people really, you know, thinking about customers, you know, my florist customers, my supermarkets, all of our members only market customers and subscription customers for all these years, they really have no clue about whether a flower is an annual or perennial or a woody, if it grew from a bulb or a tuber or a rhizome, you know, they don't, they don't really know that. It's flower farmers, right, that I think express um, their surprise when they learn that I pretty much grow primarily annuals. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm just going to go down the rabbit hole of telling you about that. I was just questioned about this several times in the last couple of weeks. And um, I thought that this would be a great topic for us to talk on. First off, you have to know that I am a small space farmer. When I first started flower farming in 1998, my entire property, which included our home, 
two or three, I think three outbuildings back then. Um, our whole lot was 1.17 acres. And so for the first 10 years of my business, um, I squeezed in as much gardening space on that property as possible. And basically, I had like two quarter acre cutting gardens. And during that time, I was producing upwards of 4,000 stems a week in season from those small spaces. Keeping in mind that I am a succession planter, which actually goes perfectly with annuals, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. And that means that not all of my garden is producing at one time, not all areas of the garden, meaning there's a part that's just being planted, there's a part that's being unplanted, and then there's the part that's blooming. Um, not necessarily in those um, portions, but somewhat like that. So when I say I had two quarter acre gardens, I was not cutting from all of that at one time. There was a succession going on. And so I learned during that period of time how to squeeze the absolute most out of the least amount of space that I had. And so back then, um, when I, I guess I had been probably growing for two or three years and I started doing, as so many of us do, is I thought, oh my gosh, I need to grow tulips. I want to grow lilies. I wanted to grow all of these crops that I felt like my customers would demand from me. And, you know, every season, it's so funny, every winter about January, I would begin combing the catalogs and all the information that was being mailed to me from plug catalogs, seed catalogs, perennial catalogs, woody catalogs. Um, and I would be perusing thinking, if I want to keep my customers coming back for more, I'm going to have to find something new, something special, right? That hot, kind of like the new trend. That's what I think I was thinking. And, and I did that. You know, I grew tulips, I think, for three seasons. Um, I grew them in bulb crates because we have a terrible vole problem here. Um, I grew several different, actually, several different bulb crops and crates. And then I grew lilies, L.A. hybrids. Now, I want you to understand that I, I sold everything I was growing. But what quickly became very apparent to me was how much money I was investing to get certain crops and then the amount of work I had to put in to actually produce a stem. And I'm sorry, y'all, Tucker is chewing on a ball that is making a lot of racket. Um, that how much I had to invest and how much labor to actually produce a stem of whatever we're talking about, any crop. I learned so much during those years because I actually had to hire somebody. I hired a, a young man that lived here close by. He became the lily planter and the lily unplanter because we had to remove the lily bulbs from the bulb crates where they had grown. And all of this doesn't sound like much until you were planting 10 bulb crates a week and then you were having that many bulb crates a week to unplant and you had to harvest and you had to sell them and, and, and 
it quickly became apparent to me that that was just what I refer to now as a high-risk crop. I am not saying they are not a killer crop to grow. I am saying that when you look at the inputs, they take a lot more than other crops do. And then, of course, there's the risk of something happening to them during the growing season, whether you're talking about deer or botrytis or, you know, some kind of disease or craziness like that, that, in fact, you get nothing out of your investment, right? So I went through probably about, I'm going to say, five or six years. Um, I remember my first tulips and then I jumped in. I thought, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. I'm going to do this more. Bought more tulips the next year. Then I added um, hyacinths and other crops. And then I brought the lilies on. And for about several years, we're just going to stick with, I did that. And it was the most high-tension, stressful, crazy time of my flower farming life. Because let's just face it, when you're farming, period, flower farming or vegetable farming or whatever you're farming, there is so much you cannot control. The weather, pests, I mean, there are so many variables that can totally undermine what you're doing. When I brought in these, and that's why I call these crops high-risk crops, it's not that they aren't worth it to somebody, and that they aren't worthy and they aren't beautiful. It's that they are just, they've just got a lot of risk involved with them. So I kind of went down a rabbit hole there, y'all. I'm a little sorry about that. Um, so I went through that period of time. And as I was coming, you know, I was, I was weary. I mean, I got burnt out for sure. I mean, I really got burnt out. And the burnout wasn't really so much from flower farming now that I look back. Um, it was flower farming, but it was this added pressure of growing things that were really out of my wheelhouse for my conditions, for the scale I was at, um, and for my gut juice. When I say that, I mean for the turmoil of because I didn't have the proper, perhaps, environment of what... I needed to grow like the lilies. My lilies grew outdoors. Um, those crates sat outdoors on black landscape cloth, um, and they did great. But what was the big threat? Deer, which we had deer, could have just walked in one evening and eaten the entire crop, and I would have been out a gazillion dollars. You know, I mean, these are the things I look back and think, how did I even get through that? So, I then went to an ASCFG conference, and Frank Arnowski was there. Um, Frank, you know, is one of those rock stars and um, has become a friend and just so grateful for all of his wisdom. And I sat through a conference program that he gave where he was showing people how he and Pamela, along with the crew, have created incredible income. They have bought farms, bought lands, done things, supported their whole family. I mean, they don't have any off-farm jobs. And when he was given this program, he just kept showing annual after annual after annual after annual. 
and the people in the, the room, and I bet there was 150 people in this program. At the end for the Q&A, I just can't tell you how many people just, don't you grow, you know, ranunculus? Don't you grow anemones? Don't you grow this? And I do believe that Frank does grow those things now. But back during this time, it was kind of like the pedal to the metal time in his business, I believe. And he said, I can remember his reply so distinctly, I forget what the person asked him about. He said, no, I don't do that. I'll just grow more sunflowers. He's where he and um, another ASCFG member, whose name just totally left my mind, are the ones that really brought to my attention the significance and the value of planting weekly sunflowers, right? So that started me down this journey. And then the other part you have to remember, you know, I mentioned that I have a small space. If you want to get the biggest bang for your buck from a square foot, what are you going to plant? A perennial plant, which of course those are plants that come back year after year. However, they need to be kept weeded 24-7 and fed and mulched and cared for, but they only produce for a short period of time. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they produce for four weeks, which most don't. Imagine if you use that square foot for annuals, what you perhaps could get out of that. Um, and that's what, uh, that's what pushed me down this road that I was getting, to get the most income from the least amount of space, I chose to go with annuals. Um, And I will tell you now, it's 2022. I began in 2098. Next year will be my 25th anniversary, and I have never looked back. Um, Again, I want to say there are so many uncontrollable variables in farming that I decided that this me growing crops that I was not going to be destroyed over if I lost a crop for whatever reason. I can remember once, this was way back when, um, I had grown, um, I had planted in a bed because I didn't know about crates back then. Um, I had planted in a bed a bunch of hyacinths and they were on the verge. I mean, they were butted up too early to pull. And actually, I didn't even know to pull them back then. Um, I would have cut them and messed them up for sure because I really didn't know what I was doing. But, oh my gosh, when like two days, what I forecasted two to three days before they were going to be ready to, to harvest, voles came in and literally ate the entire bed. I mean, I will never forget. The first day I went out, it's like, what's, what's wrong with that patch back what happened to the back of the bed? And they're wilted, you know? And you touch them and they fall over because their bulb is gone. And then slowly, over the next few days, literally the entire bed was gone. I cannot tell you how sick I was over that. It was a lot of money. Money I didn't really have to spend back then. Or to lose, for sure, right? So, and it's not that there's anything wrong with hyacinths. What I'm saying is, is that I found a path of least resistance, and that for me was annuals. 
because annuals are basically a low investment with a high return. Even when I'm investing in high dollar seeds, those hybrid seeds that cost so much more than maybe some of their counterparts, um, even when I do that, the return that I get is so much higher um, that it was just like, I just went down that path and I have never ever looked back. Um, and what I think is so surprising to so many people, the other part that became really apparent to me while I um, kind of started doing this, you know how I mentioned earlier that customers are always, that I felt like customers were always needed something spectacular to keep them coming back. But you want to know what truly was the spectacular part of my business that kept customers coming back was high quality, consistent supply of staple flowers. Because there's the other part of this that all came into play for me is that the flowers that I was now growing, these annual flowers, um, I mean, we're talking and I can't possibly list all of them indefinitely. Of course, sunflowers, um, zinnias, coxcombs, celosia plumes, snapdragon, sweet william, um, all of those flowers that, guess what, build amazing bouquets every single week. And my commercial customers, both supermarkets and florists, bought week after week after week. I mean, I sold 10 bunches of sunflowers to the same florist every week that I had them for every year that I had them. And I think that we think we have to keep pushing the envelope. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't add to what you're growing. I'm just saying for me, my goal when I became a flower farmer, you know, it comes back to that whole why, right? I loved gardening. I loved being outdoors. I loved doing what I was doing. And I came to realize after I let it consume my life for the first few years that I wanted to figure out a way to grow flowers and sell them and be a part of all of that and make and minimize the stress that I had control over. And annuals really did that because not only was my investment lower. So if there was a loss, like for instance, right now, we just came through, um, we didn't take a hurricane hit, but we got the rain and the wind from the edges of it. And it literally flattened my garden. I mean, it's the first of October. We could have had six more, six more weeks of flowers. That's significant, right? But that loss is far less with annual seed costs and the labor to put them in versus other things. So I just found that I could provide staple flowers to my commercial customers and they, for the flowers that they used every day of their business life, right? And that's where it kind of came true to me. I really don't want to sell or I don't want to say don't want to sell, I didn't focus or even 
think about wedding flowers and wedding colors. Now, I will say that surely the florist that I sold to used some of my flowers for weddings, but they used the flowers that worked with their wedding. I was not trying to grow flowers that were primarily for weddings because that limits you. That limits your, who your sales are because what happens if that color's blooming during the non-wedding non time or, um, you know, there's just so many variables. I looked for a consistent demand for my flowers and to be able to create the highest margin, the highest profits, um, and with the least amount of loss potential because stuff happens. And the other thing I want to add in is that people think, oh my gosh, but there's so many beautiful flowers. Well, friends, I'm telling you, um, there is endless beautiful annuals to grow too. Um, and I find the beauty in more than um, new, different change. I find the beauty in the flowers and having them as long as I can um, for as often as I can. And um, I wanted to create a business that not only I could love, but that I could really, um, that would fit my lifestyle. And I'm looking back now, and you know, I didn't realize all of this while it was actually happening. Um, but I can remember that when I was growing lilies outdoors in crates, and I mean, think about this. So we planted 200 lilies a week, which was about 10 crates. Now think about, and on the average, I grew LA hybrids. On average, if I remember right, most of them bloomed. It varies with the time of year, but from, let's say, seven to 10 weeks. So you're going to have 70 crates of lilies out there at any given time, at least in different growing stages, right? I would wake up every morning and I can remember walking to my back door because where they were was close to the back of my house. I would almost say a little prayer every morning before I lifted the shade thinking, don't let the deer have eaten them last night. I mean, I sprayed them for deer because um, again, I'm in the city. I can't have a real deer fence. Anyway, I just found that growing annuals just made this lifestyle and the joy of doing this job um, more enjoyable because I took away a lot of um, the stress and, you know, that's just kind of it, friends. I, I think people miss out on this um, and all the cost and... I mean, it just breaks my heart every year when particularly two things happen. One is people do a high investment in early spring bulbs, which tulips are known for this, um, blooming long before you think they were going to, and your markets haven't even started yet. You don't really have customers lined up, and all of a sudden, Literally, you have 2,000 flowers staring at you and nowhere for them to go. I mean, it happens every year. And then um, the second thing that happens is 
um, particularly with ranunculus um, and anemones, you have to provide them with specific conditions and people don't really understand that. And again, they make investments and have troubles, um, you know, and I am, and I just want everybody to understand, I am not saying that those aren't amazing crops. I'm just saying there are more crops beyond those that you can take the low road or the high road or whatever road you want to call it. I call it the road that fit me and my life in my small space where I cannot have any structures. I cannot have any hoops and greenhouses. I live in the middle of the city and I wanted to find the way to produce the most money from the least amount of space with the least amount of stress. And there you go. So friends, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to drop a review on whatever app you're listening, share it with your friends. And when the time comes that if you are looking to expand your knowledge, we have a full library of online courses. My course goes on sale for five days a year in early October, and I would love to have you join with us. Um, if, if you sound like me, um, then we can help you. We'd love to have you join forces with us. Um, so friends, thegardenersworkshop.com and we'd love to hear from you. Till we meet again, ciao. Hey folks, the Field and Garden Podcast is honored to be partnering with the Growing for Market magazine. They have been publishing practical ideas and information for direct market flower and vegetable growers for over 31 years. All the articles are written by farmers who get their hands dirty and know what they're doing. The magazine is still on the same mission as when the Flower Farmer book author Lynn Bozinski founded this magazine back in 1992 to connect growers with the best ideas from other growers. There is dedicated flower content in every magazine. A decade's worth of back issues and over 1,600 archived articles from writers like Aaron Benzenkang, Gretel Adams, Pamela and Frank Arnowski, and Jonathan and Megan Leese, all available on the website. With 10 new issues every year available on paper, digital, or both, you're guaranteed to find something to fine-tune your farm and growing for market. So if you do farmer's markets, CSA, farm stands, pick your own florist sales, or wholesaling, whether you're a commercial grower or you just want to grow like one, subscribe to Growing for Market for the nitty-gritty details of growing, marketing, and the business of local farming. And I have a special offer for you. Use the coupon code WORKSHOP to get 25% off any subscription to the original Farmer to Farmer magazine at growingformarket.com.